Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Be seated. Some things I was looking at earlier uh, touched my heart. I wanted to share a little bit of them with you from the uh, few verses of Scripture here from the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Uh, Paul, writing uh, to the Ephesians, says, Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine, uh, which is dissipation. He says, rather be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, very rich passage, one that has kind of been a memory verse for me for years. I think I learned it back in maybe high school or commune, one of those times back then. Um, and uh, it's interesting uh, that Paul, sort of in the place of what you would think of as conversation, like chatting with one another, uh, instead says, uh, sing to one another, making psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart uh, to God. Um, Orthodox services are generally, with just a few little exceptions, are sung from beginning to end. Uh, I think it's one of the most striking things about it that we, that we sing. And in fact, uh, Western Christianity, the tradition of what was called the low mass, which could just as easily be called the said mass instead of the sung mass, uh, was differentiated in, in some fairly early centuries. The West began a practice in which, like the middle of the week, uh, the Eucharist celebrations in the middle of the week, the priest would just say it wasn't chanted. Orthodoxy doesn't have a low mass. We don't have a low divine liturgy if we, we sing. And if you don't have a choir, you know, in the Slavic style as we use, then at least you have a chanter as you would get in Greek or, or Arab uh, practice uh, where you have, at least you still got somebody singing and, and it is sung. There's, there's something going on here. We also know, for instance, in Jewish tradition, one of our best friends in my high school early Years after that was uh, a Jewish friend who grew up in uh, Brookline, Massachusetts, and uh, was studying as a teenager to be a cantor, uh, to sing. And it's essentially, uh, in a synagogue, pretty much as important as the rabbi. There's the rabbi and there's the cantor, the rabbi and the singer, sort of preacher and singer, and, and the cantor's role. I mean, this is a very ancient one. I remember he taught me the first Hebrew I ever learned, and uh, it's interesting because he taught me in a pronunciation of Hebrew that he was used to that is not the one actually used in Israel or in my seminary Hebrew classes. So I had to relearn. He's, he would say Adonai, and I had to say Adonai for Lord. Uh, but little things that way. But he taught me prayers and things. But it's funny, if you, if you ever get a chance to look at a Hebrew text, there's the letters that you might recognize, even though you don't know how they sound. Um, but the letters are surrounded by dots. Lots of little dots and lines and little thingies all around them, just filled with it. And um, you discover when you're studying Hebrew that a lot of the little dots are the vowels. Mostly Hebrew letters are just consonants. But you've got dots for vowels. Occasionally there's a stick. It's <laughs> another vowel. But anyway, depending on where the little dot is, you've got a stick and a dot. If the dot's here, it's one thing. The dot's there, it's something else. It's a, you get interested. Then there's all these other marks. 
I remember saying to my friend Neil, well, what are these marks? He goes, oh, those are for the cantor. And so, in other words, you print the Hebrew Bible, it's printed for singing from beginning to end, which you will, that's the tradition. And it's, it's the spiritual tradition uh, that is, uh, was a, a foundation uh, on, on which our Christian faith is built. It fulfills that. Uh, but we didn't get any orders to stop singing. Uh, Paul here expands it, and basically you get an idea of Christians walking around Rome and going, hello, <laughs> or something, I don't singing. I'm not certain, I, I would like to say, Paul, how do you do that? Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I mean, I know what it's like to live with a singer who sings from uh, dawn till dusk, and usually for a while beyond dusk. Uh, dusk. And, uh, you know, if there's a day that she's not singing, we got trouble right here in River City. So, uh, Beth, please sing, sing, sing. Uh, it's also interesting as we think of things in our scientific way, uh, your brain's wired for singing, which is really strange if you think about it. Why is your brain wired for singing? I mean, if you think of it as practical, there's not a practical purpose that we think of that you need to sing, which is why so many modern people don't sing. They've not been taught. A lot of modern people not only don't sing, they don't play musical instruments. Uh, over the years, as I've lived in this good, fair city of Oak Ridge and paid attention to local city politics, where they actually vote on things that are useful, uh, like school budgets and such, uh, when things get tight in a school budget, almost the first suggestion that will come up will be trimming the music program. We have a, a great strings program in Oak Bridge, which is how you get orchestras, but then we talk about wanting to cut the strings program. And, uh, and I would just panic. Uh, not that I really am that crazy about strings, uh, but it's when you start trimming music out of children's lives, uh, you don't know what you're doing. Um, Plato wrote, uh, and he was pretty sane about a lot of things, uh, when he designed the ideal republic and wrote about that, what it should be like, he included musical instruction for children as a necessary part of education, explaining it is necessary uh, for the soul. That is something missing. Souls will be wounded, uh, stunted, and hampered if they don't sing. St. Gregory, the theologian, uh, and a uh, great friend of St. Basil and St. Gregory of Nyssa, uh, St. Gregory wrote and said, I take it back, St. Gregory of Nyssa said this, same guys, little group of friends who sat around with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Because actually, Basil and Gregory were great poets and songwriters, and they wrote poetry all the time. But St. Gregory of Nyssa said, man is a musical composition. He didn't say just that we sing, but that we actually are a musical composition, which kind of is, to me, kind of smacks of the Silmarillion, uh, or at least makes me think that Tolkien might have actually bothered to read Gregory of Nyssa, because uh, Gregory generally pretty much, pretty close to has God singing the universe into existence. And everything we read about the angels, it's pretty much all they do is sing ceaselessly. 
And the, you know, we only get a couple of their hymns told to us, but we have some other hymns in the church. For instance, the hymn, It is truly meet to bless you, what they have taught us, ever blessed and most pure, and mother of our God. That uh, was taught to a monk on Mount Atlas by an angel. And uh, so, I mean, so we still have some songs uh, that are angel songs that come from them. Uh, but we, we sing. God sings. It says in Zephaniah uh, that uh, he will sing over his beloved. He'll make a song over us. So we have God singing, the angels singing, we sing, trees sing, grass sings, creation sings. And there's something, and as I say, it's strange in our modern mechanical world to wonder why do we sing. And it's obviously for something greater and more important than building bridges. Uh, although I would suggest it's necessary to building bridges well uh, and doing all things well because we are a musical uh, composition. Paul, though, is in the verse that I read, is uh, quite practical in talking about singing through the course of the day. Um, you know, we, we have the disadvantage, uh, so many of us as converts to orthodoxy, that we hear the hymns and stuff of the church sung, but we don't know many of them by heart. Uh, I remember being in the Russian Orthodox Cathedral in San Francisco, where St. John of uh, San Francisco's holy relics were laid out there, and I was out doing a Lenten uh, uh, retreat for them. Uh, and the first night was the, was the weekend of the Atticus, and the first night with their archbishop, there were a couple of deacons and a few priests and myself, and they're standing around and they're going to do the Atticus, which you know is 15, what, verses, whatever you would call that. They, not just verses, but chunks, big 15 chunks like that. And we're there, and someone did give me a book, thank God, but suddenly they were all doing the Atticus, their parts doing the entire thing by heart in Slavonic. Not, not all of these guys were born Russians either, but it kind of staggered me, and I kind of nervously would sing it in English when it get around to me, uh, you know, from a book. Uh, I was impressed because it also meant that they were quite capable of singing the entire Akathist any time, day or night when they need to. And you'll read a book like, say, Father Arsini, and you'll read Somebody's in Trouble, and they say the Akathist, and I'm thinking the best I could do would be Akathist. I mean, I'm sort of, <laughs> yeah, rejoice, yeah, yeah, rejoice. I'd have to make it up, you know, which is not a bad thing to do either. If you don't know one by heart, make one up. Uh, the Psalms, uh, wonderful priest, uh, Father uh, Pat Reardon, yes, wrote a wonderful book on the Psalms and other, <coughs> other things. Father Pat first learned the Psalms in Latin as a young Catholic boy, it, all of them, all 150 in Latin, he later learned them in Greek, Hebrew, uh, and I don't know if it was anything beyond that, but I knew he knew all three in those things. It's, I sat with him as he was teaching us on Psalms once. It was amazing just to watch him flip from language to language as they each read the other and interpreted. And you know, this is um, we're such an information-based society that we tend to, when we like want to learn scripture, we want to get information, you know, and like who said what, chapter verse, that kind of thing, stick the numbers in, or, or something like that. When we're so much more taught that we need to learn these things by heart, 
I suspect when we learn something by heart, it would help enormously if we sang it. Uh, I mean, because your heart, your heart sings. It, it, it'd rather sing than it had to do anything. It certainly would rather sing more than talk. Uh, so learning the, the, the songs, uh, learning even the simple chant that we use in the church, which is Johnny One Note. Uh, you know, da 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 or just maybe with a little tag on the end or something. You don't even have to do it well, you can do it badly. Unto the Lord. Uh, you, singing is angel day. Uh, if you sing, uh, they tend to gather around you. You may occasionally even have the joyous experience of hearing angels throwing harmonies in. It happens. I've had it happen. I've seen it before. Angels singing with us. Uh, these are, these are things that are there. I wanted to, all of this was really spurred by noticing that Monday is the feast of St. Joseph the hymnographer. Uh, so it's not his feast day, but I just thought about him. And I thought about how many theologians of the church are actually poets. We miss this because our, our English translations just aren't poetic. Uh, they don't have rhyme, they don't have beat, they don't do any kind of poetic thing other than go with music. Uh, the Greek originals for many of the things. It's true of some of the Arab hymns too. The Greek, they're real poetry. They have meter, like Homer would have. They have meter. Uh, I remember being at Holy Cross Seminary in Boston where the chanting, the Greek chanting is primo. I mean, really good. And when you're in there, you find yourself tapping your foot as they sing because it has a beat. You wouldn't think it, but the Greek stuff's got a beat, you know? You know, I bet the Arab stuff too, kind of like camel beats and stuff, you know, but it's all, you know, this is, it's there, these things are natural to us. These are natural to us. Uh, but that some of the greatest theology ever written was written in poetry uh, and meant to be sung, uh, recited, to be uh, shared in that way. Uh, St. Gregory the Theologian, uh, first time I read him in Greek, I was in college and I remember coming home and telling Beth, oh my goodness, he writes Trinitarian grammar. I don't know how to explain that, but when you read him in Greek, it's like, oh, this is just weird. <laughs> the grammar is Trinitarian. It's like we hear person and nature. And it's just a fascinating thing to do. You can't really do it very well in English. But this, our hearts know these things. So just tonight, I, A, I give thanks to the choir, and y'all work so hard, and our music, which carries us through Lent, it's going to not just carry us into Holy Week, but will carry us, uh, it, will, it will take us into the depths of, in Holy Week. You know, this, we, we will sing hymns such as, and hear hymns such as the wise thief or the hymn of Cassiani. And it's not just the words that we hear, but the, the music will take them in, into the depths of our heart and allow us to leave this space behind and enter into the holy space uh, about which we sing and we'll join by music, you know, music, strange stuff. When we all sing, at the same, if we all talk at the same time, that doesn't work. That's the second grade. Uh, if we all sing at the same time, uh, that's a choir and we can all do it and we can have harmony and stuff and our hearts can be melted together in a communion as we sing. So A, thank you to the choir and to the rest of us uh, sing more when you pray, you know, which is maybe one of the reasons why we were told to, to go alone into our closet <laughs> and pray, you know, 
and uh, sing a little. Uh, sometimes, especially if Beth's not watching, I will dance, cause, you, you know, which is kind of what's going on when you're making prostrations. But I mean, sometimes your heart soars, you just have to do something, and it's okay. I mean, this is perfectly natural. King David danced before the Lord, and they had dancers. We, we don't do any dancing here. Um, but our hearts dance before God, and in private prayer, our bodies may as well. So just encourage you. Be, God has created us to be fully, fully human, and you can't be fully human without the song. Uh, and, uh, and so he's instructed us to sing. So God, give us grace. May we make a melody to him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father Daniel's probably in Greenville by now, uh, down with the faithful at uh, St. John of the Ladder uh, on their Patronal Festival weekend, and Bishop Garasim's down there, and they're doing a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so keep him in your prayers, uh, and uh, we have uh, liturgy tomorrow morning at 9.30, uh, and I think that's all I know about for announcements. Father Deacon, anything else about tomorrow? Normal. Normal. Yeah. yeah. I'll be available for confessions here. Thank you. <laughs>